0: Have you ever used a watch or a timer just to remind yourself how long, say, five minutes can be? If you just sit and hold a watch and watch five minutes pass slowly, now imagine that you're on a wooden fighting ship of 200 years ago, exposed to continuous enemy cannon fire, the equivalent of kettlebells flying at high speeds through the ship hulls, creating splinters of wood and steel, flying around the insides of the ship at lethal speeds and killing fellow sailors all around you. And imagine that you are exposed to that for minute after minute after minute with no current capability to return fire and still sailing straight toward the enemy ships without turning aside. This was the experience of the British Navy on October 21st 1805 under the command of Admiral Horatio Nelson off the coast of Spain near Trafalgar. Two British flagships are each leading a long column of British fighting vessels toward two separate points in the long column of the combined French and Spanish fleets. The enemy have 33 ships to the British 27 and 30,000 seamen on board those ships compared to the British 17,000 just a little more than half the number of fighting men on the ships and the Spanish and French have 2600 guns to the British 2100. Now this method that the British used of approaching the enemy is especially dangerous to the attacker since all the ships cannon typically fire at roughly perpendicular to the line of travel. Meaning that the French and Spanish ships are firing a large numbers of their guns broadside at the approaching British vessels while the British can't really bring any appreciable firepower to bear. Now the approach is at wind speed which on that particular day was about a knot and a half meaning a little more than a mile and a half per hour. So imagine walking about as slowly as you can walk, and it still feels like forward motion for hundreds of yards toward an enemy, firing that sort of lethal shot at you, but still continuing to move straight ahead with no ability for the short term to return fire. Now, the ships just behind the lead vessels saw all this happening, but stayed in line and took their share of the punishment in turn until at last enough British ships had survived that punishment and were fully engaged in the fighting, which made things a little safer for the remaining British ships still approaching. What was it that kept all of those captains in the following ships moving forward as rapidly as they could, no turning aside, despite the obvious punishment they saw their fellow sailors and the other ships taking right in front of them? Historian and biographer Roger Knight describes a meeting of all Horatio Nelson's captains aboard his flagship, The Victory, a few days before the battle. He writes, quote, speed was the essence of Nelson's plan. The order of sailing was to be the order of battle. Now this means roughly that The equivalent of foot soldiers would be that the order in which we march would be the order in which we fight. We don't change formations once we see the enemy. So that's what Roger Knight is saying about these ships. The order of sailing was to be the order of battle to avoid delay in maneuvering before the action. Nelson's division would confuse the enemy by steering at the last minute toward the enemy flagship in the middle of the enemy line with the effect of cutting off the front of the enemy's fleet. Collingwood leading the other half of the fleet, would have independence of action, and his division would attack the rear of the line before the enemy ships ahead could turn back. A short, close range, decisive pell mell battle would result. Close quote. During this meeting, of all the captains a few days before the battle, Nelson was careful to say to everyone present, quote, No captain can do very wrong if he places his ship alongside that of an enemy." Close quote. So this was Nelson's strategy and his communication of a guiding principle that would control the actions of all the captains commanding ships on that fateful day. It was tremendously important that everyone understood Nelson's thinking and this guiding principle because Nelson could not be personally available on every other ship to make real-time decisions as the battle progressed. In 1805, the manner of communicating among fighting ships was by hoisting signal flags to make codes that took minutes to form comprehensible phrases. Now think about that, making allowance for distance, the chaos and smoke and fog of battle, flag communication would have little value so it was critical that each commander had freedom to adjust to local circumstances, but was guided by a clear understanding of the objective and a vital few controlling principles. The biographer and historian Knight goes on, The impact on his listeners was dramatic. Most of Nelson's captains had been young lieutenants when the French wars began. Here was the best chance to strike a decisive blow, and it was their good fortune to be present by chance under a confident and inspiring commander. Close quote. So here's the connection. Horatio Nelson assumed correctly that the fighting ability of the highly trained and experienced British crews was so superior to that of the greener, recently recruited French and Spanish crews that the only way the British could fail to secure a victory was by failing to force a decisive encounter. The strategy, for that reason, was to risk a punishing approach in order to make that quote, close-range, decisive, pell-mell battle close quote, inescapable. The guiding principle he offered the captains, making it possible for his strategic vision to inform the action of every ship, no matter how far from him, was, No captain can do very wrong if he places his ship alongside that of an enemy. Nelson's captains did largely as he asked, and the Battle of Trafalgar virtually ended the combined French and Spanish fleets as a fighting force which also meant that the much larger and much more effective French army under Napoleon would not be a threat for years to come to cross the English Channel and threaten the invasion of Britain and its annihilation as an independent country. This was a leader's perfect combination of moral purpose, personal motivation, and strategic vision. The ship captains believed that the survival of their country might well depend on this battle They knew that if they won, each captain's status as a national hero for centuries to come would be secured. And they understood clearly how Nelson's strategy made that possible as long as they followed the principle of seizing any opportunity to get close to an enemy. So this is one of the most dramatic examples I know of something we call managing by principle. The recognition that my ability to project my impact depends on my ability to comprehend the guiding principles that affect success in a given situation and then to make those principles clear to a broad range of people necessary to execute a strategy at scale. So if I'm the world's best ship captain, but I can't communicate to 26 other ship captains as Horatio Nelson did, then I can't be a fleet captain. I can't scale. I can't become effective at something more broad than the command of a single ship. At Latrim and Intralox, we are increasingly conscious as we tackle more and more ambitious goals that a special kind of leadership is critical to our ability to recognize those goals. More and more of our objectives involve a higher level of complexity, a broader range of interdisciplinary cooperation. So we talk more and more about, quote unquote, leaders who can scale, close quote. And we think the ability to distill the right guiding principles to a situation and then communicate those principles effectively is foundational to this kind of leadership. So we are promoting higher awareness of the importance of mastering key principles. And yet we're also aware that this could come across pretty abstract, maybe pretty boring. So how do you make a powerful connection to people about why it's in their interest to increasingly master principles that have been shown to help them be more effective at executing a given task or a project? principles that help people be more effective at engaging with other humans, and principles that help people scale, meaning impact results across a broad group in complex undertakings, and maybe even principles that have been shown to help humans derive satisfaction from their experience of life on Earth, because that's part of what we want out of our workplace. So we're starting a mini-series called Principles on Fire, We want to spread the recognition that one of the best things an individual can do to increase his or her own effectiveness, especially as a leader, especially as a leader at scale, is to understand the importance of distilling and communicating principle.